Blog Talk Radio. Hit it, hit it. I'm hitting it. <laughs> it ain't playing. It ain't playing. Oh, well. there you go. There you go. Thanks, Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening. Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, February 23rd, 2017. This is Michael Norris, and we've got the full band with us tonight. Jerry Oates, Bobby Simmons, and Jay West, they're all here, and don't know how well we'll play or how in tune we are, but uh, we're all here. <laughs> I, hadn't changed my, I didn't get a chance to change my strings this week, so I might be a little out of tune. So. Oh, man, how you guys doing this evening? I'm good, and I'm glad Jay's back with us. Yeah, well, me thank too. You. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'm uh, glad to be here. I, Mike uh, told me before we went on the air there that uh, I was wondering why he wasn't plugging me in. He said, oh, I didn't recognize your number. And I said, see, once again, you say it's okay if I'm <laughs> off for when I'm not feeling well, but if I stay off, then, then you don't know who I am. So here we are. I'm uh, glad to be on the Glad to be with you folks this week. We've uh, got a couple of sad, sad things to talk about. I know that, and I didn't want to, didn't want to miss out on that. Yeah, we uh, lost uh, two more comrades this week. Actually, we lost another one yesterday, but it's it's not one that uh, we're all, any any of us were familiar with. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Johnny K9. Uh, he worked a couple of other different, other different gimmicks. He was basically uh, he was a Detroit guy that uh, came along well after all of us. But uh, he uh, he was living in a halfway house, and evidently they found him uh, deceased in his room yesterday or day before, whenever it was. But uh, our condolences out to them, to right. friends and family of of him. But. Uh, the main ones we wanted to touch base on that we lost uh seemed back to back was uh Jim Myers, best known as George the Animal Steel, and uh Oreo Peras, who was best known uh to the wrestling world as Ivan Koloff. Uh and I was looking today, um this afternoon, George Steele Really, as famous as he was, and as well known as he was, and, and, and such a well known character, he uh, he basically worked three territories his whole career. He worked, uh, of course, he was a full time school teacher, high school uh, coach, and, and school teacher. But he started uh, in Detroit working for. Um, I don't know if he preceded Farhat before Farhat. Fought out Detroit. Whether he goes back as far as uh, I think it was Burt Ruby that had Detroit uh, before Farhat, but he worked under the mask as the student. Worked under mask number one because he was a uh, well-known, you know, a school teacher. So and it wasn't like he could could hide that face by just by using another name. 
but they also the student was a play on his uh, his full time career as being a teacher, and mm-hmm. uh, he was a student for at least a few years, and I think he lost the mask to Tony Marino in the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies, and then uh, during his time off from school, whether school holidays or summer vacation or whatever. Uh, somewhere along the line, he became close friends with Bruno San Martino, and Bruno at that point owned, uh, besides being the WWF champion, he also owned the Pittsburgh promotion. Right. And so he started uh, bringing uh, George into Pittsburgh, and he was a top heel there and got over so well there that Bruno suggested to McMahon that they start bringing him into the New York area and Northeast. And that's what he did on, on, you know, summer vacations and, uh, you know, whenever else he'd have some time off, he'd, he'd pass through that territory and uh, was with that in and out of there for many, many, many years. And then finally by the time Vince Jr. took over, I mean, he was always the animal. and He always did uh, some crazy stuff like chewing the, the styrofoam out of the turnbuckles and, you know, acted kind of wild, but he wasn't, uh, he didn't play the mental deficiency role that he later played in the WWF, where they painted his tongue green and he couldn't speak and all that other stuff. And I was, I, I knew somewhere along the line he came through Georgia for just a brief, I mean, like maybe a week or two, and I, I looked up his, his, uh, his record. He was here in uh, Atlanta in May of '82. Dusty oh. brought him in, and uh, as a, did did they do? Did Dusty do the thing like Rich did with Dick Slater and have him in a box ringside, Bobby? I don't remember. I don't remember him doing. I know he put a midget in the box one time, but I don't remember him doing George that way. If uh, that was '82, that was after me, but. Uh... Yeah, I remember that's when I first met him. He, he, uh, I can't remember what the deal was. I was thinking he came in and partnered with Tommy, but I, but maybe it was Dusty. Well, the only result I found was him him teaming with Dusty to take on Ole and Piper in an Omni yeah. show in May of of '82. Yeah. Uh, when he was working with Tony Marino there in uh, Pittsburgh, was Marino doing the Batman character then? Well, no, he, he was actually he was working with Marino when he lost the mask as, as the student. Um, that was in Detroit. And I don't okay. think Marino ever did the Batman anywhere but um, Pittsburgh. Can you imagine, can you imagine somebody? I was a – I talked – broadcasting courses for a number of years and can you imagine uh coming back from your spring break or whatever and uh and you know the other uh teachers there saying well what did you do on uh your spring break there jim <laughs> oh i ate the turnbuckle uh down there at, uh, you know, whatever whatever arena was he was appearing at let me tell you something this guy was so soft-spoken i mean he was so well educated i mean he was just a he was a prince of a fellow. I mean, you wouldn't have no clue. I mean, Jerry, did you ever, did you ever run across him? Yeah, I met him. Nice yeah, he man. was just, I mean, yeah, you wouldn't have a clue. You wouldn't, if you met him on the street, it would be the last thing in the world you'd ever thought he did was wrestle. 
he he was just I talked to him in like five minutes, like you'd known him forever. He wanted to know about you, you know. Oh yeah. Right. That's that's a good guy to talk to, somebody that's not boasting about themselves. No. He had a bachelor, bachelor of science degree from Michigan State University and a master's degree from Central Michigan University. So that's uh, nothing to, you know, laugh about right there, folks. I never had the pleasure of meeting. Was he a was he a big river or anything like that? And there's a reason I asked that, but not well. I wasn't around him enough to know. I, I he was here for a cup of coffee. He wasn't here long. I just met him at the TV station here, and probably you know at the Omni or whatever. But I, I got to talk to him a little bit out in Vegas at Caldwell Alley, but it's totally different setting. So I, I don't know if he was or not. The reason I'm asking is the world-famous Bruno Pedro Morales world title match in Shea Stadium in 72. Of course, Pedro was, was the champion at that point, and Bruno was a challenger. But right in the middle of the match, they had to bring all the cops. Of the, you know, Shea Stadium obviously was a baseball field. And so I think the ring was set up at third base or something. And anyway, about the middle of the match, here comes George Steele tearing out of the, the dugout like he's going to get in the ring. And they, you know, the cops surround him and drag him off the, the uh, off the field and everything and take him back to the dugout. And as it turned out, and I can't remember if it was Tanaka, I want to say it was Tanaka that put him up to it, bet him that he wouldn't do it because it was totally unplanned. <laughs> So as a rib, he he did that, and uh, it made all the magazines and everything. Him pictures of him with the cops with a billy club around his throat, trying to drag him back to the to the dugout. So seems as I remember. I, I guess. Picture. But uh, yeah, he he had a great reputation as far as you know being uh, you know a, a well beloved figure in in the business. And of course, later on, uh, um, even before he started uh, getting nationally known, you know, on cable TV, as it, with his feud with uh, Randy Savage over Elizabeth and all that stuff in in the uh, later '80s, he got into to uh, acting. And the first thing I ever remember seeing him on was a um, I, it was a Hewlett Packard or. Uh, uh, Xerox commercial with Tony Randall where he was sitting in an office in his in his wrestling gear but he but he wasn't he, he had on his the black and red uh overshirt that he always wore and uh I don't remember what the bit was but he was sitting in an office next to a copy machine and I have no clue about what I don't remember anything else about it but I vividly remember that and then his probably his biggest role was uh in the um, movie Ed Wood, which was a um, Tim Burton movie, he played a nor- another uh, another well-known professional wrestling wrestler that got into acting. Uh, he played uh, Tor Tor Johnson. And for those of you that are are fans of low 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 budget <laughs> sci-fi movies and just Movies that are so bad that they're good. Tor Johnson made a ton of them, uh, and with great 
classic titles like The Beast from Yucca Flats and uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and, uh, uh, Lord, I can't remember all of them. But anyway, uh, he, most of them were made with Ed Wood, but, but Tor Johnson was a well-known wrestler in the, uh, in the uh, 40s. Uh, he was a Jack Pfeffer, part of Jack Pfeffer's troupe, and uh, besides using his his own name, Tor Johnson, he eventually shaved his head and uh, started calling himself the Super Swedish Angel, which was a knockoff of Phil Olison, who was the original Swedish Angel. But uh, anyway, George Steele played that character in the movie Ed Wood, and he uh, he, he uh, resembled Tor Johnson as the uh, yeah, quite a bit, towards quite the, a bit. Yeah. Towards the end of his, towards the end of his life, and if you uh, watch Plan Nine from Outer Space, you know which was the uh, last movie made with Bella Lugosi. Which the funny part was, of course, Lugosi died during the uh, filming of that movie, and uh, he was replaced by Ed Wood's uh, uh, dentist, and the right. dentist was about a foot taller than than Bella Lugosi, and, uh, and that's why you always see him with the uh, with the cape up over his eyes. But yeah, he was uh, he, he was uh, very close in resemblance uh, uh, to Tor Johnson. And another little tidbit about that movie is that the initial original title of it was Vampires from Outer Space. And if you watch right. the guy doing the opening, uh, and you can read his lips. He says vampires from outer space, but they, but they, uh, uh, you know, they overdub it so that it's Plan Nine. Who in the hell? I, you know, I would have been interested in knowing what was Plan One through Eight, but uh, <laughs> you know, we. <laughs> if Plan Nine, you know the, the, the story could... behind why they changed the name, don't you? No. Ed Wood, you know, he was always he was always broke. He never had the money to to you know, finance his own film. So he usually would find some mark. He ties right back into the wrestling business. He'd find some money mark to uh, to do that. And the money mark for vampires from outer space happened to be a large uh, church in L.A., and oh, yeah. the uh, people that were putting up the money, that was their thing. They said if they were going to put up the money, they did not want it to be called Vampires from Outer Space, so they just came up with Plan 9. Which, <laughs> so. if you think about it, if you saw if you saw the final 15, 20 minutes of the movie, uh, you know, there was uh, plan, uh, Vampires from Outer Space was certainly no worse than what you saw in the no. In the graveyard scene in the final few minutes of the movie. With uh, uh, Vampira. Yes. <laughs> Who never said a word the whole, the whole movie. Yeah, she, uh, a local <laughs> Los Angeles uh, uh, TV hostess horror movie flick. But right. we digress with our, with our Hollywood and uh, stories about movies. Uh, George had well, uh, just Crohn's to... disease. Go ahead. Yeah, well, just uh, another uh, tie-in to movies and, and wrestling. Tor Johnson, and this is the rumor, and supposedly this is true, Tor Johnson was the uh, 
the model for the animators that, that created Shrek. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, very very much so. You put those little things on his ears and turn him green, I would I would say very, very close. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. But anyway, and, and the the uh, other person that we lost spent a whole lot more time in Atlanta um, and was probably involved in the hottest angle, at least, of the the cable era of Atlanta wrestling, and that was uh, was Ivan Koloff. Of course, you guys were, I'm sure, around Ivan. I never had the pleasure of being around him. I tried to touch base with him several years ago when we first started doing this show um, through Facebook because he and I were friends on Facebook and uh, tried to, you know, get in touch with him to do the show with us because I thought he'd be a great guest as much as he was in and out of Georgia. But uh, I know we never just never could put it together. And even when I I was uh, one of the towns I did with Cole Brother Circus was um, Greensboro, the Greensboro, Goldsboro, North Carolina, which is where Ivan lived. Um, but just uh, there again, uh, such such a difference in his normal life versus the character that that he portrayed. Um, if you hear or ever heard him talk outside of the Koloff gimmick, he was number one. He was a French Canadian from uh, from Montreal, or from Quebec. Very there again, very soft spoken, uh mm-hmm. kind of a high pitched voice. Not at all like all those years and I don't know how in the world he didn't kill his vocal cords doing that low register Russian growl that he did as as Koloff. But Ivan started his career under the name of Red McNulty. And it was um I wanna say it was Stu Hart and, and Jay you may know this. Um, if you've seen anything in the Observer about it, I believe it was Stu Hart that that convinced him to shave his head and become a Russian, and uh, they, uh, he adopted the, the stuff, name Ivan Koloff. All the stuff on these two guys will be out the next week's issue. They they actually passed yeah. away back to back, too close to uh, you know really make the deadline. But uh, uh, the Russian bear. Uh, uh, he became the Russian Bear in 1967, and uh, that's uh, the earliest I've got on seeing uh, when he used the name. And if you've seen, uh, seen Bobby, pictures of him when when he was Red McNulty, and when he, for even up until the time he won the uh, title from Bruno, he was massive. He had to have been at least yes. pushing 300. I mean, he, he wasn't looked fat. Much, he was just huge. He looked much better, I thought, after he lost the weight. Yeah, he he trimmed down. I guess his best run um, here in Georgia was when he and um, Dubois or Smirnoff were the Georgia tag team champions, and then he and Ole were a tag team for quite a bit. But the, the angle I was talking about, of course, was the cage match where Dusty teamed with Ole, and Ole turned on Dusty. Ivan was one of the uh, one of the special referees in that match. Was was that a Thanksgiving show? 
I don't mm-hmm. what, was it Bucky? I don't think it was. It was a summertime. No, show, it wasn't right? Thanksgiving because that was always a tag tournament. It was a. I don't. I don't remember what day we did it. I've been in. Uh, I've, I've been in some pretty hairy situations. But yeah. that night, that night coming out of the ring, trying to get to the dressing room, that's that's as tough a situation as I was ever in. It, buddy, those people, that was as close as we ever had to having a ride in Atlanta. I mean, it was it was what? that dressing room looked a hundred miles away. What was your instructions before the match, Bobby, about uh, uh, you know doing exactly what you were what you were well, going to do and what was well, what was expected to happen? They were in a cage. We weren't. We really weren't. We really weren't worked. That's a good word. We really wasn't worried about anybody getting in the cage. The thing we were concerned about was getting from the ring back to the dressing room. And uh, the, the when when Ole turned on him, the two referees was he had two referees, Gene Anderson and Ivan Goloff. Right. And then you had you had Jody and Randy Colley under the hoods as the assassins. And uh, they all went to work. When they all started dancing on him, the baby faces tried to hit the ring and climb the cage. And as soon as they'd get to the top of the cage, one of the heels would knock them off. And yeah. when that happened, when about three guys got knocked off, then they started. The people started throwing stuff. Yeah. I mean, they were. Oh, it was awful. They I were, remember. I mean, we're not just talking cokes. We were talking. They were throwing. To whatever they had in their pocketbooks, they were throwing flashlights. They were throwing. I mean, it was all kind of crap coming, and and well, there was, it was just, it was bad. And we just, all we did, we had all the police, we had all the security, when they came out of the ring, and we had all the guys in there. And then you just, I was, I was just there, you know, uh, with them, trying to make, doing what I could, and we just, we just headed to the dressing room. It was such a big shocker, you know. Uh, the fans felt like they had, you know, totally been turned on by somebody that they had, you know, great reservations about feeling like he was one of the good guys. Yeah. And Ole played that so well for so long. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was, I think, it's, you, could, you could relate it to a divorce that comes out of nowhere. You know, yep. uh, just that much of a shock, and and you know, I I I couldn't believe it when I was watching it. And, you know, you uh, hear people you hear people talk about a hot shot in the territory where you go in and you they'll do something, you know, and then in two weeks they'll do something else. Only played that thing out for almost a year. Yeah, almost a year. Yeah, and he he just it was the time, and you know whether. <laughs> Whether he knew the timing was perfect or he guessed or it was just uh, uh, fate, but whatever it was, I've I've never seen anything that hot when that night when them people you know when he did it. Well, yeah, anticipated being that bad, Bobby. We weren't sure. No, I don't guess. I mean, I don't ever think you know. You never think you're gonna. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't ever think you do anything to inside a riot. You want yeah. them mad, you want them hot, but you don't want to, you know. You want I, was, to come back. I was thinking today, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Charlie Smith was the referee. We ran a, we used to run a little, we used to run Gainesville, Georgia, in what they call the Civic Center up there. And the Civic Center was nothing more than a, 
a huge room. You had no bleachers. It was all chairs on the floor. They were all folding chairs. You could probably put about 600 people in this place and maybe 700 if you had them standing. And this particular night, you had them standing. They were packed up there. And you had Ole in the main event against Thunderbolt Patterson. And they only came up with the idea to do a deal where Koloff ran in and, and uh, uh, you know, they, they did a dance on Thunderbolt. Well, well, Smitty, who'd been going to that town for 100 years, told Ole, he said, if you do this, you're going to have a right. He said, I know these people. And, you know, of course, Ole was always, nah, they ain't going to do anything, you know. Well, Koloff hit the ring, and guess what? Buddy, it broke loose. They were throwing chairs. Uh, Koloff left the ring that night going up the aisle, and, and your security in the little spot show, you know, is minimal. So there's like right. a couple of three policemen there, and they're trying to get these guys out. And some guy took a chair, and he crowned Ivan. I mean, he hit him. He just absolutely brought that thing down on top of his head. And, of course, Ivan didn't sell it until he got to the dressing room, and then he put it over real well. I bet. But but he had a goose egg the size of a baseball, they said. It was just – but, yeah, it, I don't think you ever intentionally – sometimes you get carried away in your train of thought into the things you're doing. Uh, sometimes you don't think it's going to be as bad as it is. So, you, you know – I don't think they thought it would be that bad in Atlanta that night, but it, you know, only could get carried away sometimes in the things he did, not thinking about the consequences. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that whole baby, when he did the initial baby face turn, Ivan was was involved in that, wasn't it? That, that deal where he and Lars uh, got hot at the Russians, and that's why they turned baby face? Oh, yeah, he worked, he worked with Ivan for off and on that whole year. Uh huh. You know, which to their again just kept kept leading up to it. And you know, I always thought he and Ivan were a great team together, uh, Ole and Ivan. Yes, they were. They were they very were. good. They uh, the styles were the style the styles were different, but they complemented each other. Yeah, they were a good team. Yes, they were. Jerry, did you ever work with Ivan? Yes, I did. In the Carolinas? Me, uh, I worked with him. Uh, the only match I remember I worked with him in Louisiana. Worked with him in uh, Biloxi. Oh, really? I never realized he worked down there. That's what Was I it just a one time shot he brought him in? Watch brought him I in? I had no idea. I went 30 minute Broadway with him. I thought I was going to die. He was in the <laughs> shape. Uh, you know, he, he was constant. You know, he you know, he was just moving all the time, you know. Yeah, I think his his work, like Jay said, when he lost the weight and got down, you know, trimmed to about I don't know what they ever built him at at that point, but I would say at one point towards the end of his career he couldn't have been more than two hundred and thirty pounds or so. No, but no. he was he was perpetual motion. He he was that. Yes, some, uh, some kind of air. If y'all remember, I first heard the story at the Cauliflower Alley Club. I had Jimmy Valiant tell it the night he was on the show about they shot the angle up in the Carolinas where he was working with Ivan all over the territory. And he said the first night they were out there, 
He said, Ivan kept calling spot after spot after spot, and he said after about 10 minutes he couldn't breathe. He said he grabbed Ivan's hand and raked it across his own eyes where he could stop and say, oh. <laughs> he had to catch his breath. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's, that's funny. That is. I can you know, I think Ivan and Ole were the team that uh, when we did the parking lot deal with, with Dusty, and Hanson, when they turned Hanson babyface, I think that I think Ole and Ivan were the team that was involved in that. Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, they they, you know, they they worked together really really well, uh, and uh, I, I, you know, Ole Ole was uh, an excellent singles wrestler, but I think he probably had his best matches as a tag team wrestler and. And uh, Ivan was, as, in, in my opinion, as good a partner as he ever had uh, yeah, over yeah. the long, over the long, over the long haul. You know. Yeah. Other, just, other than him and Gene, yeah, they were, they were. I agree. Yeah. Gary, yeah, I, I, I may have told it. y'all this. I don't know if I did or not. If I have, I'm sorry. But I was talking about how you never do anything. Sometimes you get caught up in your mind when you're trying to figure something out, where you 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 just you get carried away. I refereed one Sunday afternoon in Columbus, and Ole was working with Bob Armstrong. And, uh, uh, Jay, I know you and Michael never went to Columbus, but Jerry can, can vouch for this. The two people in Columbus that could walk on water were Bill Dromo and Bob Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just, you know, Mr. Ward took care of them. They were over there. So Ole's working with Armstrong on a Sunday afternoon, and I'm standing in the dressing room, and we're talking. And Ole goes through this scenario where he backs Armstrong into a corner. And he wants me to, as a referee, to get in between them to separate them. And as I'm going through, Ole says, I'm going to hit you in the back. He said, you turn around and get on Armstrong for doing it. So I said, okay. Well, he must have liked the way it sounded because he said, we'll do it again. (laughs) And then he said, we'll do it again. He went through this scenario where I was doing this about three or four different times. And after he told me the third or fourth time, I stopped him. I said, at what point do we stop and call a state patrol? And he said, and he said what, are you, what, are, what are you talking about? I said, if I do that three times to Bob Armstrong in this town, I'm going to have to have a state patrol to get out of here. Mm. You know, and then he said, yeah, it's probably a little much. He thought about it. But, yeah, you know, it's just that was his, that's the way he was when he was talking and he was thinking things through. But he just, you know. I just I don't think anybody's ever set out to inside a ride because it's too easy for people to get hurt bad. Right. Well, I know a couple that probably tried, or at least once one got started, they took the credit for it anyway. <laughs> once they were safe, oh. Sputnik comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that take credit for somebody falling off a balcony? in Millersville and, and killing himself. Yes, sir. That guy <laughs> fell out of that basket and killed himself, and Sputnik claimed the guy was hot at him and trying to get to him. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I thought, I, I mean, Sputnik should have been in Millersville. Yeah. I just... <laughs> <laughs> he may have been too crazy uh, even for Millersville. They may not have taken him. They probably would yeah. Mike, do you know anything about uh, Ivan's uh, later work after he basically gave up uh, 
professional wrestling wrestling other than doing uh, you know autograph shows and things like that. Well, I know he he got heavily involved in uh, in the church, uh, and I believe he became an ordained minister. Um, yes, in in the little town he that he lived in in North Carolina, in a little town. It wasn't a little that little a town, but it was a nice town. It's a college town. Um, and of course, he uh, he and Scott Teal wrote a book together, right? Um, <clears throat> which I have not not had the chance to read yet. Um, there were there were actually two books. Books one was called uh, "Is That Wrestling Fake?" The Bare Facts. This was in two thousand and seven. And uh, and then uh, Life in the Trenches, where he spoke about his alcohol and drug use. Now, I wasn't around the guys a lot, you know, during the time I was ring announcer. There were a couple of guys that, uh, for whatever reason, took pity on me and would, uh, you know, chat with me from time to time, particularly if I was trying to do uh, a story for uh, the Jim Mel- Melby uh, magazines. And, and, uh, and, and one of them was Ivan. And Jim Paris, and uh, so at any rate, you know, I knew where a lot of the guys lived over there in Hateville, and uh, so you know, I talked to him a little bit. I never felt like I had enough information to uh, do a story that was uh, that was that was going to work, but uh, he, he was a he, he was a nice guy to talk to, and it was good to know that he. Uh, he, he was able to give his testimony on, on this subject because I'm sure Bobby, you know, will attest to now that that was very rampant back during that time period that the guys were on whatever they could get. Plus, alcohol was another uh, another big uh, vice that many of them had. You know, I can honestly say, though, with Ivan, I, I never... I never saw him messed up. I never saw him inebriated. He 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 always was to me. He always seemed very straight when he got to the matches, and you know I never saw him out of the way at all. I agree with you, and that was uh, kind of surprising with me that he would, uh, you know, that this was such a big part of this, uh, according to what I'm information that I'm read that I'm reading, and I, I guess becoming a born again Christian was was something that. It made it necessary for him to uh, discuss those subjects, whether it was whether he was uh, heavily involved in it or not. Yeah, because it know, was so rampant. The last time I saw Ivan was at Cauliflower Alley, and I guess it's been three years. Uh, he had uh, his health was so bad. I say his health; his body had gotten so bad. He was he walked stooped over. Uh, his back was in such bad shape he could not stand up straight. Uh, it just pains you to watch him walk, knowing what he was. And but but there again, I guess it takes its toll on all of us in different ways. And it had just it had caught up with him. Absolutely. And, uh, but his but his his demeanor and his charm was as good as ever. He just he was uh, super nice. Uh, very obliging to the people that wanted to talk to him, and he just, uh, uh, it just, his health just was steadily going downhill, and it, of course, finally caught up with him, and, uh, and that's... I mean, if you think about the guys of uh, that era, the uh, late 60s to the uh, early 80s, and maybe a little bit later, 
and uh, you know Jerry can I'm sure uh, attest to this. Uh, you you just think about the guys that are in wheelchairs now and 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 have trouble remembering certain things. It's because they were willing to do this to give the fans what they came to see, you know, and and uh, it, it, it's unbelievable now just to think back on it. These guys were doing it as, you know, every night somewhere. And uh, to think of the toll that it took on them uh, in, in, in their later years and the ones that are still with us, uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it's just hard for me to even fathom it. Uh, with the little issues that I've gotten now in the last six months, uh, you know, and I was very far from an athlete, uh, but it it doesn't take much, and it's a domino effect. Once something goes, then something else goes, you know. And uh, these guys were willing to do this uh, in order to make a living and to give the fans a good show. Well, you think, especially Ivan Cole, if you think about his matches. Uh, even before he he trimmed down when he was at his his biggest, he was a bump machine. I mean, he took bumps like crazy, and of course his gimmick, you know, being a Russian, every territory he ever worked, he had to do Russian chain matches. And I don't care how you pull punches with a chain wrapped around your fist or whipping a chain, you're going to take some punishment from it. And he had to have done thousands of those over his career because I mean that was his. His gimmick match. Mm-hmm. Do you ever work a chain match, Jerry? Yes. Or any kind of gimmick match like that? Yes. Who'd you work with? Laskowski. Who? Well, I was going. That's better than working with Buck Robley, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Buck was a heck of a worker, you know. Uh, you know. My era, you know, I can only speak for what I did. But, you know, there were so many guys that a lot of their stuff was self-inflicted. You know, the dope, yep. the booze, drinking every night. I mean, I don't care who you are. It's going to get you. Plus what we did on top of it, you know, for a living, that was what we chose to do. And, you know, I... I look back and you know that's that's what it was and that was how I wound up. That's that's how I'm, I'm I wound up. You know, I, but that was but I still you know I still take care of myself and how many of them just like Leon uh, what's his name uh, uh, the the Vader the guy that was in New Leon White Vader he blames the wrestling business and pro football for his health. Well, look at what he weighed four hundred pounds. What do you expect? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, you can't blame. I don't. I don't blame um, the shape that I wound up in. Which I mean, you know, I've had bukus of surgeries on joints, but that was from what I did. I'm, I I can't blame. Well, you know, I, I, that's what that's what happened. But I, I you know, I, I can't. I'm mean, not to drop dead right now on the radio. Or whatever we're doing here, but you know, I, I still try to take care of myself. You know, uh, my health is more important than right. me me turning a, a, a eighteen pack up every night. You know, so you know. And we, I and I, we, I know exactly what you're talking. I mean, because none of us, 
none of us had a gun held to our head to get in the business. And the thing, the punishment is what we did. That was that was part of the requirement. Nobody, you know, there's no other. There was no other way to do it and do it properly. Um, I can see some of the guys that came along after our era who, you know, were pressured to, to bulk up and do the steroids and stuff like that. But if they wanted their their job, but then you know they. Could have always done something else as well, but there were guys like like you're talking about who, you know, and, and Bob Kelly and I used to talk about Buzz Sawyer. What a naturally gifted athlete this guy was just a just just a natural in the wrestling business, but he was so unreliable, not only to whether or not he'd show up, but what he was going to do in the ring. I, I I wouldn't work with him because I knew he couldn't take care of me. He couldn't take care of himself. You know, and just and, you know, you know, I, I don't. I, I've talked about this before. I, if I'm a booker or a promoter, I don't care how much money a guy can draw me. If I can't depend on him, he's worth nothing to me. Sure. You know, I, I worked. I worked a guy with a guy that was a booker here. He was so smoked up one night he didn't know his name. He was the booker <laughs> here in Georgia. I'm thinking. You know, you, I don't know. I, I, I you just, you, you look back at, 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 at what we did and the people that ran it, you, you shook your head sometimes. What were they thinking? It boiled down to one thing money. That was it. They didn't care. Oh, about yeah. Some guy being drunk or high as a kite you were working with that could break your neck or, you know, I, it was just, uh, it was, it was just, you know. Like everything else about that dollar, and you get hurt, you, yes. you know, that's on you. Well, speaking of bookers and promoters in Georgia, I watched something this evening just before we went on the air that I really enjoyed. Somebody, um, there's a, it's kind of like YouTube. It's a video channel called Daily Motion, and somebody put on Daily Motion a an NWA World Heavyweight Title match between. Champion Lou Fez and Ray Gunkel from Dallas and I would have to guess probably 1952 or so, 52, 53. And, of course, I had never, I've never seen Gunkel, and I don't, wouldn't, wouldn't say that was his prime because he was probably less than 10 years in the business at that point. Um, I've seen videotape of him from, you know, teaming with Fuller in the 60s, and, and I've seen – Snippets of the his last match with with um, Ox Baker, but what a worker he was! God Almighty, he was great. Um, and you guys, obviously, growing up here, saw him at least somewhat in his prime in the '60s, up until his death. <clears throat> what did you guys think of him as a worker? Did he work that much once he became the owner of the territory? No. No, he just worked in Atlanta, as far as I know. He'd come in in the main event and beat somebody every once in a while. I <laughs> never did. thought he was that great. I, he, uh, I, thought, I thought he was. I mean, he, he uh, you a, know, when he, he get ready. He, he's a shooter, ahead, I know that. I mean, yeah, he, he was tough. Good. He could wrestle, but I mean, as far as just being a worker or whatever, he just never looked that polished to me. He, of course, uh, I didn't know what polish was back then. 
I, I agree with you, Bobby, 100%. The name carried a lot of weight, you know, uh, just the chance to see Ray Gunkel because he he almost never appeared on television in a match. And uh, his matches later on in his career uh, were few and far between. And, uh, you know, it was kind of sad that he looked like he was uh, going to pick up, uh, you know, his schedule a little bit there uh, again toward the end uh, when, unfortunately, he passed away. But he would come in when he was ready to make some money, uh, you know, in the ring, and uh, he he would do a build-up on TV uh, with somebody doing a run-in with him, you know, with his clothes on. He's in the ring talking to Ed Capral, and uh, all of a sudden there's there's somebody that attacks him, and then that that's when he uh, agrees to sign the contract to meet them at the Atlanta City Auditorium the next week. You know, Charlie Smith, I'm sure, can uh, talk about this a lot more than, than we can from that era, and I want to thank Charlie again for calling me today to see how I was doing. I was taking my old man nap when he called. Uh, but uh, at, at any rate, the thing that always got me was the crowd reaction, particularly when it would be one of those tear rakes, raise clothes off on TV when the heel would come off the rope and Ray would slap him in that sleeper hole. And when he would do that, the crowd would go nuts. And uh, so, you know, I think you got your money's worth when you saw him, but I think part of it was his name reaction by that time period and uh, the fact that you almost never saw him. I never, I, I never saw him work as you're talking about, Mike, in his what I would really consider his prime. I would say it was his, you know, uh, late, late era of, of Ray Gunkel, who which was still good, but uh, the late era, you know, uh, his late era when I actually saw him work. Well, my this particular match me, was. Go ahead, Bobby. I was going to say my uncle told me in in the in the late fifties, early sixties. They said Ray had a heck of a run, and of course my uncle knew nothing about the wrestling business. He said he said they had a, he had a great feud with Freddie Blassie. And uh, but when Ray, when I remember Ray as, as a kid, he was he was mostly in tag team matches. Him and Fuller were a, you know they'd bring him and Fuller in as a tag team if it was somebody mm-hmm. that nobody could beat against the Infernos or the Anderson Brothers or the Vachans or whoever. Uh, you know, so I just, you know, I just, like I say, I, I don't know. That's why I was uh, like that. That's why you're over. Yeah, you on the territory, and, and, and the greatest thing about him, he was a great businessman, very yes. smart, yeah. he was super oh, yeah. intelligent. He was, I give him that. He was, he was a super smart man. Well, like I said, I, I haven't seen enough of him to judge, but it's well worth it to, to seek that match out and, and watch it because it, it's a, it runs about 45 minutes. They do two falls, um, both long falls, and, and they don't finish the match because the end of the second match, Ray wins the first fall, and in the end of the uh, second fall, which Thez won, he did what, what became later on known as a power bomb. And Ray sold it so well that he couldn't he couldn't continue the the third fall. He wanted to, but the the ringside doctor this was this match was from Dallas. Um, 
at the old that the sportatorium that they use there forever and um but he just he had a great look to him and uh and of course Thez being the champion he was you know using some tweener semi heelish stuff and everything but it, it was a great match and uh and I was thinking the whole time I was was watching it and maybe you know at some point uh once he got the opportunity to buy Georgia the territory you know he was more interested in the business end of it than the wrestling end of it but I would I would have looked at at Ray Gunkel from that time period in the 50s and thought he would have been a much better choice to be the world heavyweight champion as opposed to either Whipper Watson or or Dick Hutton because he just he had the look he was he was probably in his late 20s early 30s at that point and um <clears throat> good build you know good looking guy and everything and the crowd was was into it and the referee and I thought about you Jerry the referee for that match and this name will mean something to you, you 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 remember Leo Voss don't you oh yeah I know the name. Wasn't he out there with uh, with Leroy? Wasn't he Leroy's like office manager or something when you were? If he was, I never met him, but I know the name well. Yeah, I've heard but, it. But uh, yeah, Leroy was the was the referee for that match, and uh, just it's it's worth worth seeking out because it's a it's a great match. And uh, just watching Fez, and I was was trying to figure in my head if that match was say 52. Fez was was already in his mid 30s, and what shape he was in. I did, the more I watch and find matches of of Lou Fez, I'm just amazed at what what a great athlete he was, what a great wrestler he was, and. Uh, even more interesting, he had Ed Strangler Lewis with him as his manager. Uh-huh. But um, but I guess to, to, other than Georgia, Texas was really the only place that that Ray really spent any time that I know of. And they billed him as being from Chicago, and they, and they mentioned his his collegiate career at Purdue. Um, was he at, was he really from Chicago? Do you guys know? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I have know. no idea either. I had always associated him with Texas, you know, for, uh, but uh, you know, I I couldn't specifically say where if I'd ever heard exactly where he was from or not. But. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, that was that was definitely definitely worth seeking out there, and I'm not sure where that film came. If that's part of that uh, that NWA stuff that um, Bruce Tharp, um got from Paul Bosch's family or not, because I know most of the stuff that he's been been releasing has been from Texas and in and in and around that era. Um, there's some Duke Kiyomoka matches out there I know. Um, there's a rare one with Ricky Starr, not in the ballet gimmick. Is doing, you know, wearing straight gear and and not doing any ballet moves from out there in Texas that I've seen. I think it, I think he's working with Kiyomoka. 
uh, some of the little stuff in the, that that took place in that match. And I thought of you, Bobby. Most of the first fall, Ray worked over, uh, or Fez worked over Ray with a short arm scissors. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I, you of know, Ted Allen thinking, asking you. I can I can remember. You know, it's funny how you remember this stuff. I remember Gunkel working with Stan Stasiak in Atlanta in a singles match, and. It was it was two out of three falls. They used to when I first started going to the matches. The generally the semifinal and the main event were two out of three falls, and I can remember Gunkel taking a first fall somewhere or another. But forty five minutes into the match, Stasiak gave up because Gunkel had worked a hammerlock for about thirty minutes. They'd get up and do a spot, and Gunkel go right back to that hammerlock, and he gave up. He he gave up from a hammerlock. Can you imagine somebody sitting still for something like that now? Oh, and, uh, yeah. And and you know, I was think you know Jerry was talking about the things that he did and the things that we did. That's the thing that that you know. I mean, of course, I don't know these guys. They just have to do what they have to do. But some of this crazy stuff these guys are doing today. Can you imagine if they live to be sixty or seventy? Oh, God. the shape so they're going to be in. They're not going to make it. No, I don't think so either. Not gonna make and, you know, and with the exception of a very few of them, uh, particularly the ones that don't own their name, and, and almost none of them do now, there's a few exceptions. Uh, you know, five years from now, who are they? Uh, there's just very few of them that are... You know, when they're very, used very... up, they have nowhere to go. Right. Their, their career's basically over because they cannot use their name. And yep. uh, it, it's just, I mean... Hey, it is what it is, and I'm not knocking the product. You, they do what they have to do. Nobody makes them do it. But True. I just I watch some of this crazy stuff they do, and I think, my God, I hope you're saving your money. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, for some of them, even the guys that are not on top, the money's good for a short period of time. And, and, you, and uh, the thing yeah. is, too, you go back to the other thing, because some of them are making good money. You know, I'm sure... I'm sure the drugs and the alcohol and the other stuff mm-hmm. is is still out there. And the more money you make, the more you're able to afford that lifestyle if that's what you choose to do. And right. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. Uh, it's just and, a vicious cycle. And but McMahon that covers can't be nothing like it used to be. It can't even be close to what it used to be up there. No, it can't. And be. McMahon covers himself because uh, you know he's got. A free rehab uh, for any of his people that ever worked for him at any time for, that's uh, suffered from drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, I mean, what good PR is that? Uh, here's something that a little trivial. It's, it's not trivial when you're thinking about uh, the business, but uh, anybody got any idea how many people work full-time? This does not count workers, the guys in the ring, uh, nor independent contractors. How many people the WWE has got working for them full time? This is from the Wrestling Observer newsletter. No, I would imagine I, my guess would be hundreds. Uh, Eight hundred and seventy full time employees worldwide, and that does not include the guys, the workers, the, the guys that work in the ring, and uh, the performers and other independent contractors. And I'm wondering just what the hell that covers, but uh, but. That uh, that is a lot of folks to uh, uh, you know 
just to think about beating payroll right there. And Vince isn't in it just to make payroll. Uh, so that is one more organization. Well, you know, another thing, and this we've gotten off the path a little, but has anybody else thought about the scrutiny that he's going to come under if any if they get any hint of impropriety now that Miss Linda is part of the inner circle of Trump's inner circle? Hey, you don't know, think for a, don't think for a second that there's not people working on that. I, oh, I'm uh, sure. Just the least little hint. I mean, it, it doesn't even have to be real. If it's just anything somebody can get a hold of and run with. I mean, this yes. is just, you know. I mean, yeah, I think I, I have long thought that her whole political career, all, from all the time she ran for the Senate, was just Vince pushing his way to somehow or another get some laws changed to, to more to his advantage. Well, you know, it's just an angle probably, that he's working. Well, he probably did that part a long of time it. ago with the athletic commission. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But I'm sure there's other there's other things on the corporate end as far as whether it's taxes or contracts or whatever, and you know he's he's always going to be pressured with this this whole thing is how he he's you know he's he's basically doing something illegal by the fact that that he uh, he calls his the the guys that work in the ring and the girls and the you know whoever else that he considers an independent contractor. He does yeah. that so he doesn't have to provide them any kind of benefits, but at the same time, he won't allow them to make other appearances. He won't allow them to, you know, use their gimmick name. He trademarks their gimmick name so they're not allowed to to be able to use what they're best known as. If they're independent contractors, they should be able to go wherever they want to. You know, I well, he, they could get away with that either. Well, I had a question. Are they are they independent contractors? These guys that's are. What he'll, got, that's the first thing. That's the first thing he'll scream whenever they talk about, you know, uh, health benefits and and all that stuff. And he does he does go out of his way to help a lot of them. But like yes. the whole thing with with uh, CM Punk when he had to basically get out of it because of, you know, the, he the way he and and I don't know this to be true, but the way he. He expressed it that that they were forcing him to work with uh, whatever it was that he had wrong with him that they knew was wrong with him. Whether it was I don't remember what it was a herniated disc or what it was, but they were pressuring him to continue working. But then when he turns around and says, "Okay, uh, you know you're responsible for my health bills or what?" Oh no, you're an independent contractor. We don't owe you anything. It's well, just, independent contract independent contracting goes goes way back in 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 the business, right, Bobby? I mean, you were doing oh, yeah, that. yeah. I mean, we were yeah, all we independent were, contract. Here sure. was here was the thing. Here was the thing, and 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 this is we were never independent contractors. N- never. It was all on paper. It was all the way they they did it, but. Because when you're an indep- by definition, an independent contractor is a person you hire to provide a service for you. Yes. That's far as it goes. That person, if if I hire Jerry Oates to to come paint my house, then Jerry sits. If, if I say, okay, Jerry, I want my house painted by the end of March, 
Jerry sets his own hours. He sets his own schedule. I can't tell him I want you here at eight o'clock and stay till six o'clock every day. There I'm just go. I'm just hiring him to provide a service. Now that's never the case in the wrestling business. They tell nope. you what they told you what time to be there. They told yes. you what time you could leave. They told you what you could. There wasn't any selling pictures and gimmicks when we were back in the day. They told us no, you can't do that. Right. Well, stop that. Yes, uh, sir. When I first come up here, I'm telling you. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a. They told you everything. I mean, they yeah, even it, told. They even told us they. It was implied. Maybe it was implied. I don't know. You would never have seen a guy back in the day. I have never wore flip flops and cut off shorts to an arena where I was working in my life. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was implied. That you were depended going to, on that depended know. on the, the individual promoter because I worked places where it was okay and I worked places where it was a no no. Well, it just well, you that, know, that that goes with the quality of of the uh, promotion itself as to. What's yeah, allowed does. and what's what's not allowed. And Jerry, Jerry talked about that a little bit uh, last time I was on. Was saying what guys were allowed to do outside the ring and what they weren't allowed to do. But yeah. as an independent contractor, if somebody were to say, "I've got a match this coming Friday night at such and such place," do you want to work that match? And as an independent contractor, you would say yes or no. And that would be the end of it. That, yes. That's your right as an independent contractor to say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Uh, and uh, then you go along your merry way if you don't want to work that match. I, uh, can promise, into- I can promise you this. If you were working for Ray Dunkel and you were off on Thursday night, let's just say you didn't get booked wherever Thursday night was, and some local independent promoter, little outlaw as we would call him, said, hey, uh, Jerry, I know you're off this Thursday. You're not working anywhere. I'll give you $200 if you'll come make an appearance down here for me in, in, in Pavo, Georgia, which ain't nowhere near where Gunkel was running. If you had went down there, the next night you were working for Gunkel, A, you would have probably got stretched, and B, you would have been fired. <laughs> right. Fired, absolutely. And once yeah, I mean, that would have been the end of it. Once they hand you a booking sheet, Mm-hmm. If they say okay, okay, let's say, let's just say they say uh, uh, Monday you're in uh, Matter, and then Friday night you're in Payroll. So well, I don't want to make Matter and Payroll because you know there's not going to really be any money there. Well, you think that would work? <laughs> no, <laughs> they would have told you. You don't have to make them. <laughs> you're not going to make any of them. You ain't going to make That's any right. of them. <laughs> That's true. I mean, and, you see, somebody yeah. could try to call, call in and say, Biffle, we know we've been there, we've done that. So you can't debate the truth. You can't right. debate the truth. You, you can't. And, Bobby, I mean, Bobby, you sir. worked in the office. You worked in the office, so you know how it was trying to get Social Security numbers and everything else off of these guys. Uh, but, but uh, you know, uh the the independent contracting thing the the response to that was hey you're wearing your own trucks you're wearing your own boots you bought you're driving your own car to the uh to the arena 
uh, and paying for your own gas. Uh, so you end up, if we pay you $25, you end up with $2.50 if you're lucky at the end of the night. But that was their answer as to how you were, in fact, an independent contractor. Oh, sure. Uh, now, I'll say that, let yeah. me say this about the Social Security numbers. Having worked in the office, I would spend half a day every week verifying that I had Social Security numbers on everybody that had worked the previous week. Because at the end of the year, if we didn't have a Social Security number on everybody that we turned in for a 1099 form, it cost yep. the office $5 a head. Now, it don't take long when you got that many people passing through right. to, to that bills up pretty quick. I mean, it might be, even if it was $500 in a year, I mean, they're looking at me for $500 that I've wasted because, you know. So, yeah, George Harbin, who worked in the Charlotte office, uh, Charlie, who worked in the Florida office, Charlie Lay, we were we were all constantly calling one another looking for Social Security numbers. And we kept a file there in the office. That was one of the things we did. But, uh, yeah, we worked with other offices on making sure we had them. And most yep. of the guys oh, cooperated. Right. They, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't squawk when you, you know. Let me ask you right. a question, Doug. Yes, sir. Since you worked in the office, all right, let's just say I come in here uh, as Jerry Oates. Mm-hmm. And I'm really Hank Ferguson. Uh-huh. And I give you a Social Security number as Jerry Oates. But I'm really Hank Ferguson, and I don't oh. give you that Social Security number. Right. Don't tell me that didn't happen. It had to. I'm sure it did. I'm sure I it give did. You a bogus Social Security number. I'm sure it did. I was just wondering if that, you, you ever. I never ran, ran into it where they called me on it, but I'm sure it happened. Well, you, you know, on the other part see, of that. That was another thing, too. You know, when, when a guy would come in here, you know, and, and he's working. Well, Ivan Koloff is a perfect example. When I wrote his paychecks, I wrote them to Ivan Koloff. I did not write them to Jim Paris. I don't know how that worked either. Well, most of them, most of them that were legit. Now, let's. Here's another little thing you can throw out there too. Out of a hundred guys that would pass through an office, there was probably forty of them that did the right thing on their taxes, and there right. were sixty of them that that uh, out of the other sixty, there was there was forty that was a little shady, and there was 20 that never filed a day in their life. Yep. You know. Uh, but, you, you know, if if it works for the office, because if you're an independent contractor, you file your own FICA taxes, and you pay both sides of it. Right. So, yeah, so that was a big deal for the office. That saved them a lot of money. Let me yep. ask you another question about that. All right, I come in here as Jerry Oates. But I'm not really Jerry Oates. I'm Hank Ferguson. Right. But I give you, I give you Hank Ferguson's Social Security number, which is the real number. But okay. I get paid. I get paid as Jerry Oates. Right. That looks like there's some kind of discrepancy to me. You know, you know what know they would look that. at because you are considered, even though you were you were a professional athlete. The way the IRS would look at that was you're Hank Ferguson doing business as Jerry Oates. Jerry Oates, okay. right? You you would need to have an you would have to have an EIN established, actually making yourself your own company, 
And uh, so how those guys uh, go to the bank cash those checks? Yeah, well, that I never had a problem. They, I always got my checks from the Georgia office under my gimmick name every time. It was always I Michael Derrick. It was never they were never made out to Michael Norris or David Norris. They were always Michael Derrick, and I had I no problem. You were kidding Went me? Went to the bank? Nope. Of course, I never I, got paid I, I, enough I, to where they did better than I had. They wasn't well, like the I guy, was cashing. The guys in Atlanta, the guys that lived check. in Atlanta, didn't have any problem because they could go to the bank we drew on, and they wouldn't. That wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, yeah it, it would be more of a problem today than it was in the old days. Yeah, there was very few guys that I made a check out to their regular name. Most all of them went to their went to their whatever they were working as. I never wrote a check to Ole Anderson to anything other than Ole Anderson. I never used his real name. Well, let me ask another Bobby. Did you guys keep? You mentioned having files on guys. Did you guys keep like? Because I'm sure the office was inundated with publicity photos and. Resumes and all that stuff. Did you guys keep all that stuff? <laughs> we, yeah, it was funny. You know, Charlie can tell you these stories too because he worked in the office a long time. Ninety, ninety-nine out of a hundred pictures we would get. First of all, if a guy was coming in here and he was legitimate, he didn't call the office. He talked to the booker. He had some, most guys had an in. You know, they would call Ole and say, "Hey, I'd like a starting date. Can you use me?" Blah blah blah. They didn't call the office and say, "Hey, this is this is you know Jerry Oates, and I want to come in." I couldn't help them, you know. So that was you know. But the people that would send pictures to the office, I promise you, maybe ninety nine is a little steep. I'd say ninety out of a hundred would be people that all have a belt on and that all be wearing a mask. <laughs> and and they would they would have a, a letter take telling you know what they wanted to do, who they were, and you never heard of none of these people. Half of them wouldn't give you a legitimate name. They'd call and say, I'm Mr. X, and I'd like to come wrestle for you. Those kind of things we'd keep. We, we threw them away. But we did have a file there of publicity pictures on, on people that, you know, we use from time to time. Uh, whoever's running the switchboard, can, they get, can y'all get Greg on there? He sent me a text. He's got a question. Yeah. Greg Brown. Uh, I can tell which number's him. What's his? What's the last four digits of his phone number, Jerry? Uh, 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 I'm about to lose you. Wait a minute. Oh, you get it. I may have it. Hold on. I have to look at it. Uh, I'm probably guess, but wait a minute. It's uh. That's what I thought. Greg Brown, the Dothan Flash. (laughs) How's everybody? Good. How are you, sir? Hey, hey, Greg, before before you you, uh, get into what you call it, have you ever seen that that video that's out there taped from uh, Channel 4 in Dothan that's uh, Little Dove and... uh, um, Oh, what was your girlfriend's name? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Marie Laveau. It was Diamond Lil. I have not. Cause Shorty Turner sitting in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that if you saw old Shorty sitting there. 
Now I haven't seen that one. But here's a, a question I want to ask. If and the independent, this says everybody that works with them is independent contract. So if I live in Tampa, Florida, and I'm booked on the Raw show that's going to be in L.A. on Monday night, I'm sure you'll probably fly me to to L.A. and wherever else I'm supposed to be. But when I get ready to go home back to Tampa, as an independent contractor, does he have to fly me home or will I have to fly me home? Without flying myself home, does he, does he have the right to fly me home? Who are you asking about, about Vince? Yeah. I've heard various accounts of that. <laughs> no, uh, that's usually put under what you call per diem, okay? okay? And where they would pay for your meals and uh, hotel stay and, and your transportation separate from your paycheck which is normally not which is normally not taxed. Uh so uh they may not call it by that name but that's 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 the IRS figure is uh, or terminology is per diem. Which but, means but per ask, he's actually asking the question would he have to Greg I have heard that the guys are responsible that he will that he furnish he will fly them wherever. Right. And he will fly them home. But the deal is, if you notice, when they're going to run Raw, let's say if they're going to tape Raw at Phillips Arena in Atlanta on Monday night, right. well, that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or whatever, he may run Macon, Columbus, you know, uh, Birmingham, right. Dothan, wherever he's going to run. Uh, what I've been told is the guy, he'll fly him in to wherever, but the guys are responsible for making that loop to get to Atlanta. He doesn't pay for hotels. He doesn't pay for food. They're on their own. Right. And and when they get to Atlanta and work the show here, then he'll fly them, you know, back wherever. Because they're only working, if I'm, if unless something's changed, they're only working like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then the TV thing. They're right, off a couple right. days a week, unless they're okay. going overseas on a tour. Okay. Yeah. All right. I heard something about that some years ago from Gennetti when he was working for him. Uh, that sometimes, you know, when they got to these places, in order to get back home, they would have to pay for their airfare back home. So I didn't know. I have heard that them. also. Now, and I, that I may be. Know. That that may very well yeah. be. You know, they wow. say I, if, if the figures they're giving are right, and of course, who knows? They they gave a figure on Randy Orton. They say Randy Orton's got one of these Provost buses that he travels yeah, in. He, he has one. Cena has one. Punk had one. That's a fact. And they said that if, if again if the dollar figures they're given are correct, Orton's contract it was a, it was an astronomical amount of money he was making per match. Mm-hmm. Just on his contract, mm-hmm. and that's not counting the payoffs on like a big pay per view. Of course, I don't know what the pay per views are doing now because these people that pay ten dollars a month for this network, uh, you know, they get the the pay per views free. So I don't know what the I don't know what they're drawing on the pay per views anymore. Right. Wow. I'm just wondering. 
Only if the guys still get a cut of their gimmick stuff. Because oh, yeah. You know, you oh, yeah. Guys that live everywhere. You had guys living in Arizona. You had guys living, you know, in Minneapolis. You had guys living in Florida. You had some living in Atlanta. Can you imagine the flight bills just getting them back home? No, jeez. So, I don't know, Greg. That is, you know, that's a heck of a question. I, I, I still can't answer that. I, I, right. But I had heard you. You when the tour wound up, like like Bobby uh, said, you worked, you know, four days a week, maybe five. And that last night, if you're in Atlanta, but I guess yep. the next morning you you got to. I heard you put that bill, but I don't know that. I, I can't answer that. Well, you know, there again too, you may <laughs> the top guys maybe he takes care of, but that guy that you know, I mean, this I know this sounds foolish to me, but. You got a low guy that's making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, you know, as opposed to what those top guys are making. I mean, if you don't pay his way home, if he quits, what's he going to go do? Where's he going to make that kind of money? So he don't open his mouth, he buys an airplane ticket. But see, you talk about one hundred fifty grand. That sounds like a lot of money. If you, but see, you're right. They have to get themselves around. I think in cars, rental cars. Oh yeah. Yeah, and then and then hotels every night and food, one hundred fifty grand. You could eat that up quick out there. Yes, sir. That's what and I'm saying. Get... So it, I mean, it's like you said. It sounds like big money, but not this day and time. And we're and and, and again, those guys don't open their mouths. They're just glad right. to be there because they got nowhere else to go, and, yeah, and you they just go work their little deal and spend their money and say I'm the wrestler. Happy to be there. <laughs> right. But it ain't no different. You know, and I've used this example. It's no different. 1972, when the guarantee was $15, we would leave Atlanta at 3.30 to go to Savannah. And you'd go to Savannah, and you would, it was it was four hours there. You were there an hour before the match started. You worked a two-hour show. Then you drove four hours home. So you were gone from home about 11 hours. Yep. You know, and, and if you were... Referee or one of them opening matches, it was fifteen dollars most weeks, and and you know, <laughs> take some gas off of that it. and figure your time up. So it's no different than it is now. Uh, when, I here, when I started here, the guarantee was twenty five. Was it twenty five? Yeah. Well, we went to work for Gunkel in seventy two. If I am not mistaken, it was fifteen dollars a night. Now I may be wrong, but I'm thinking it was fifteen. But I, I I know because Gunkel wouldn't pay me because I got in a wreck leaving Columbus and I was in Waycross that night and he wouldn't pay me the guarantee of twenty five bucks. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. And did I say gonna, anything? Of course not. Gonna break him. I'm thinking it was forty five when I worked. It was thirty five for Fuller and it was forty five here. Well, it was sixty-five, and when I when I left the office, it was sixty-five. Well, that was what you got. Sixty-five. I'm trying to think how TV paid. I think TV was fifty if you worked one hour, and it was seventy-five if you worked two, both hours. That was that was if they brought somebody from like you know like a calcade from Alabama or somewhere. Yeah, yeah. The guys here, if you did interviews, you didn't get paid nothing. (laughs) 
Jerry Mike Jackson says since Bobby paid me by check, Mike Jackson couldn't get his claws into that part of it. And when I got paid cash everywhere else, that's when I, I then, that's when I went back to 1972 and I got fifteen dollars guaranteed. You did. You did. You did. Well, you you gentlemen are depressing me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, based based on that, I've. Uh, I've, I've talked out tonight, guys. So I will hope to join you. Good to have you back. Yes, Thank it was. Thank you. Back, Jake. And I hope to join you next week. Good deal, Jay. Thank All right. you. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, Jay. See you, Jay. I'm going to have to go myself. All right. Well, you I'm got beach control tomorrow? Uh, I'll be down there while I'll be doing them. I don't, who knows? <laughs> but you, but you guys, uh, between you and Greg and Bobby, y'all figure out that how to get home from here in New York. Well, her dad. I know one that, that, that paid his own way home, and that was Jack Briscoe when he got saw that snowstorm in New Jersey and told Jerry, he said, "You can do what you want to. I'm going home." He's, I'm he flew to Atlanta. <laughs> All right, guys. I'll see y'all next week. Here. Good night, Jerry. All right, Jerry. I don't know if anybody ever done this other than me, but I have drove home just here in Georgia. I have drove home and been so tired, I would pull up in my driveway and could not remember how I got there. I mean, just absolutely be exhausted. And couldn't remember, couldn't remember getting off the exit, couldn't remember nothing. Just, just all of a sudden I was home. And another thing I've done, I've gotten hypnotized. Have you ever gotten hypnotized by taillights in front of you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've actually been watching taillights in front and went by my exit because I was just so. And I didn't use drugs or drink, so it was <laughs> just being exhausted. That was always the hardest part of me was just staying awake because, you know, I always got stuck driving, and I'd have three or four guys in the car with me, and they'd all be sawing logs. And I'm trying to slap myself in the face, and because every time I turn the radio up to try and or roll the window down, and then they'd all fuss and complain, even though it was my car. And like like you said before, I didn't say anything, you know, because I yeah. was I was the rookie. So, but you know, that was the hardest part to me was was staying awake when you you know you've left Birmingham at, at eight o'clock in the morning, come over here and done Georgia TV, and either gone to Columbus and done Columbus TV or gone to Chattanooga to do Chattanooga House Show and then tried to get somewhere where Mike Jackson could work some outlaw thing in, in the mountains of North Alabama so he could, you know, work the main event there. And then you're, you're getting home about 2 o'clock in the morning on these, these lonely highways. I'm telling you, that's why that song turned the page. Even though it was about the music business, it it works just as well with the wrestling business as it did the music business. About the long and lonesome highways. Well, there was... <laughs> it was not as glamorous as everybody thought it was, but it was... Uh, I'd do it all over again if I could. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's nothing like living, like leaving, leaving, uh, you know, two, three thousand people in in the War Memorial Auditorium in Chattanooga, and then pulling up and, and working in front of a hundred people in in Boaz, Alabama. 
<laughs> the same night. You go from one extreme to the other. <laughs> well, that's one oh, reason, man. you know, I mean, me and Randy Corn have been have been friends for over 50 years. But he was absolutely my salvation for years in the wrestling business because he would drive home at night when we, he would drive the ring truck and I would I would sleep. I mean, Randy can drive for a thousand miles and never draw a hard breath and he never gets sleepy. And he would let me sleep at night because it didn't matter where I was, I'd be in that office nine o'clock the next morning. And and if if I didn't sleep on the way home some, I got no rest at all. So it was uh, uh he was he was my salvation a lot of those days. What's the longest trip you ever had to make, Greg? The longest trip, I guess, was from Columbus to Knoxville. That was the longest trip I ever had to make. Would you but work I for was, Fuller up there? But I, no, we were working for the office. But, I, you know, I was riding oh, with okay. Jerry. So I wasn't driving anyway. So, But, yeah, that was the longest trip. I know I remember one time we were – we did TV on a Saturday morning, did a two-hour taping – we left there and went to Augusta, and i never forget Ron Richard tried to get me and Jerry to spend the night. Well, I knew that wasn't going to happen, Jerry, but we're going home. And then we had to get right back up that Sunday morning and then go to Macon, and then left Macon and went to the Omni and then back home. Uh, but I know he, Jerry was just wore out because he did all, you know, he drove, did all the driving. But uh, I worked with uh, Volkov. On TV, then that Sunday afternoon I worked with him again, and at the Macon Coliseum, and then Omni that night, Oli told me he said, "Well, get dressed." Somebody didn't show up, but then the guy showed up. He said, "Well, don't worry, but he's gonna still pay you." He would do that a lot for me. Uh, he would tell me, "Oh, if I show up, he said, you got your stuff with you, sure, get dressed." And then the guy would show up. He said, "Well, don't worry about, it. I'll pay you anyway." So. Uh, but that was the longest trip that I'd ever made um, from Columbus to Knoxville. And when you were in Japan, they, 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 you guys rode on buses or trains over there, right? We were on everything. We flew. We were on the train, on the ferry boat. Uh, every which way you could think about, you know, we were, we traveled. Hmm, I can imagine that. Do you ever want to go to Japan, Bobby? You know, I, uh, yeah, I would like to have went. I, I, I never got the opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I would love to have went. Yeah, when I, I got the business, to two, two places I always wanted to go was Japan and Australia. And I, I never made it any further than Biloxi, Mississippi, and Boaz, Alabama, and Atlanta. <laughs> Well, the longest trip I ever made in a day had nothing to do with the wrestling business. But we left Mount Ru- we left Rapid City, South Dakota last June and drove all the way down to just north of Louisville, Kentucky, 1,000 miles. I-, I say we drove. Randy drove. I just co-piloted. And uh, we were so tired when we finally stopped about 2 o'clock in the morning. Charlie Smith staggered in, and was, and I thought he was going to pull a gun on the man to get a room. 
trip I made, ever made, and it wasn't in the wrestling business either. I left, uh, it's my first day with the circus. I left Deland, Florida, drove as far as Milledgeville, had dinner with my daughter in Milledgeville, spent the night in a hotel room there, spent all the money I had on that hotel room, and it was, it was I had to be in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, the day after I left Millersville. So I drove as far as some truck stop in the middle of Virginia, spent the night in my car, woke up about 5.30 in the morning, took off, and I was in I was in uh, Fishkill, New York, uh, at 11.30 that morning at, at Ronnie West Hotel Room. Because if it hadn't been for Ronnie West paying my hotel for that week until I got my first paycheck and feed me that week, I'd have, I don't know what I'd have done. <clears throat> But that reminded me of the circus is a lot like the wrestling business. <laughs> and that proved it. That trip, that proved it to me. Well, I think all forms of the entertainment business are alike in some ways. Uh, we've all got road stories. We've all done crazy things. And and uh just, just depends on uh, what your venue is. I, I, I love the... I love the Charlie Lubin story I heard him tell about uh, he had to he had to go somewhere about a hundred miles north of Nashville and it was snowing and it was cold and when he got to the, they were playing a high school gym and he got there and he set his record table up and and uh, he, he's waiting and finally when it's, it's it's almost time to go on the promoter comes in and goes well not many people showed up because of the weather so I don't have the cash to pay you. Uh, but if you'll come by the office tomorrow, I'll give you your money. And he said he went out and he did his little 20, 30-minute set. He said he didn't 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 sell enough records to even cover his gas money that night. And he said he got in the car and he said the first stop was was a little little 7-Eleven and he got him a six-pack. And he said he had a guy riding with him. It was his neighbor that worked at the gas station. And he said for the trip back to to Nashville. All he did was knock the music business, talk about how rough it was and how bad it was and wasn't making any money and he wasn't doing this. And he said, finally, the guy from the gas station looked at him and said, well, if it's that bad, why don't you quit? And he said he slammed (laughs) on the brakes and he stopped and he looked at the guy and he said, I can't quit. I'm a star. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I think that kind of tells the tale with all of us. Yep, absolutely. That's pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, Greg, you going to that uh, that get together in Dothan in May? You know what? I didn't know they were having one. Uh, yeah. Mike. Um, in fact, uh, as it gets closer to time, um, uh, Ben Masters is is. Got something to do with it. And I told him when he got closer to the time that uh, we'd have him on the show so he could okay. spread the word about it a little bit. Okay. I know. I think uh, Smitty's yeah. going to try and go down there, but other than that, I don't know. Yes, we've got to go. Invitation, but yeah, he, I'd love to go. That'd give me a chance to go home anyway, so I'd love to go. I want to say it's the week then, of. Let's see. I want to say it's the weekend of the 14th, 13th, 14th. That may be that's wrong. That's what I'm thinking. It was around, the, on the, some reason, I'm thinking 15th in my mind, but that's probably, you're probably right, Bobby. Well, the 14th, the 14th is Sunday, so that's why I'm saying I believe it's that Saturday. 
Uh, yeah, we're gonna we'll be back. We'll we will we'll be arriving back from Vegas on the seventh, so six or the seventh. Okay. We're driving this year, so or three or four of us are. So Bob, we're gonna make it a cross country vacation trip. <laughs> Bobby, when's the next time you can have a get together at your church? Probably in uh, sometime this probably this month toward the end. Uh, I don't know the exact day, but it'll be in March. We're going. To, we're going to, me and Charlie and Scrappy and Michael and Randy are going to to a mobile next weekend. Uh, okay, I'm next weekend, we're going down Friday and we're coming back Saturday. Um, okay. So we're, but you know, for the reunion, don't know, don't know how many will be there, but we're gonna go down for that. And uh, uh, once we get back, we'll. I'll, matter of fact, I'll probably schedule it. I'll get on my get my calendar out and probably put it together tomorrow. Because uh, we always okay. try to do something between between Cauliflower Alley and uh, Mobile. So okay, I know Scrappy did call me. The last time that uh, you guys got together, but and I, I had all the chips coming, and I forgot that my my daughter and son-in-law and grandson was coming up to visit, so that's why I didn't show up. But I'll try to uh, definitely make the next one. Okay, yeah, it's uh, uh we uh, dig, good dig up the last one there. And, and bring him with you. Who's that, Mike? I said bring up, dig up Thomas Ivy and bring him with you. Oh man, I wish I could get Thomas to call him. He's the last time I him. saw Thomas was was the time you guys came to our get together. You guys came together. Yeah, he's back, he's back home in Columbus, but he's had some health problems. Uh, yeah, uh, talking to him a couple of weeks ago, he's doing a lot better. If I can get him to come, I'll, I'll bring him. I'd, I'd love to see him. Is yeah. he still has he still got all that weight off? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, he's he's kept it down. I think he told me he's about, I think he said about 208, I think he told me. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Wish I had the willpower, man. I sure do need to. Yeah, boy. Now that I'm retired, I spend most of my time in this recliner, so it's 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 tough. Well, I actually lost 30 pounds since, well, I don't know, over, over a, the course of uh, about six months, you know, just slacking off eating, but... Now that I'm retired and I sit in this chair a lot, that's not doing me any good. <laughs> well, that's thirty pounds. That's good, buddy. I gotta get. I gotta get busy. You know, the most exercise Bobby gets is when he comes and, and picks me up and takes me somewhere. Because <laughs> <laughs> I usually have to have some sort of apparatus for him to have to lift and put in the vehicle. Right. <laughs> <sighs> wow. Well, guys, I'm gonna. Go ahead and wrap it up. Greg, I appreciate you joining us. you got an open yes. invitation anytime. Okay, I appreciate anytime, you Anytime, buddy. Um, I, I, I call in a lot and listen in, but, and I just figured you probably don't recognize my number, but I I call in a lot whenever I can. So, But thanks for having me on tonight. All right. Not thanks, a problem. Greg. Glad to do it. And uh, just so we remind everybody, next week, uh, Richard Vicek, who wrote the uh, the book Bruiser, the most dangerous world's most dangerous wrestler, will be our guest next week. Uh, if I can figure out how to work the phone and don't blow up the, the computer like I did last week. 
but uh, he will be joining us next week. So uh, we'll all get together again and, and see what kind of trouble we can get in next week. You guys take care. Sounds, Sounds good. Okay, good night, guys. Good night, good night everybody. Good night. Take care. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.